Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are starting a series today called We Are Family. And this is, um, this is a confession, but it's also um, somewhat um, uh, aspirational, I guess. Like we, we really want to be family and that's our goal. And so what we're gonna be doing during this series is just going through some of our, our vision and values together and talking about what it is that makes us family, what it is that brings us together in spite of our different backgrounds and some of our different values and some of our different preferences. And so, um, and you, you might be thinking, I, I've heard some of our vision and values before. I know these. Well, that's great, except um, we had four. Since I've been here, we've had four core values. We've shifted one of those a little bit, and we've added a couple as well. So when we had our, um, our staff retreat at the beginning of the year, our staff and board, we worked together and worked through some of these ideas together, and, and we want to share them with you this, uh, over the next few weeks. Um, here at Summit, our, our, our uh, foundational belief, our vision is to see every life made different. Um, and this is a big statement because we do want to see every life made different, no matter where they're at, in Indiana County or around the world. That's why we send teams to places like Zambia or Greece or Oklahoma City. That's why we encourage you to serve on, on um, serve day, to take reach projects all over our region and to do things and maybe even get poison ivy as you are weed whacking the uh, cemetery as I did a few weeks ago. Um, but whatever it is, we're asking you to reach our community so that we can see every life made different around the world and here too. We want to see that happen. Um, and when we say different, we really are talking about this idea that we are transformed by Jesus, that uh, he makes us something new, something entirely different than we were before. And that's what we want to see. Because no matter how moral you are, how good you are, we are insufficient without Christ in our life. We are, we are insufficient to the righteousness of God. So we need Jesus. We need to be transformed, we need to be made different. So that's kind of what we exist for. That's why we have church. That's why we do the things we do is to see every life made different. Our youth ministry, kids ministry, everything we do has that one singular vision and one singular focus. And what our values do is they help us accomplish what we feel like God's called us to do, and that is our, our vision. So I wanna jump right into some of our values today. And, and the first one is a new one to our values, but it's not new to our church. Um, the first core value I wanna share with you today is that we wanna know Jesus. Know Jesus, it's that simple. We want the people that walk through the doors to know Jesus. We want our church corporately to know Jesus. We wanna be known as a church that we know Jesus. And what this means is not that we simply said a prayer one time, and we accepted Jesus, as Savior and Lord of our lives, but that we actually center our lives on Jesus and his good news, his gospel. That, that Jesus isn't part of our life, that he is the center of our life. That he is not a spoke on the wheel, he is the hub in the middle. That our world, that our lives orbit around who Jesus is. That I don't fit time in my schedule for Jesus but I, I work my schedule around who he is. That's 
how we should live our lives. But yet in our culture, it's too easy to make Jesus part of our to-do list, to make church part of our to-do list, and that's just not enough. In John chapter 17, uh, Jesus is praying this, this last recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible before his crucifixion, and he He's praying this high priestly prayer. He has given his followers instructions about uh, what's to come, that he's gonna be leaving, that he's gonna die, he's going away, but the Holy Spirit's coming. He's given them these instructions in John 16. And then in John 17, he prays this prayer to God called the high priestly prayer. And this is part of that prayer in verse three. He says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you, he's praying to God, and that the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He said, this is eternal life, that people know you and the way they get to you is through me. Jesus said, this is what eternal life is, to know Jesus. This is what we want. We want you to know eternal life. And I'm not talking about just the eternal life in heaven someday. I want you to experience the abundance that Christ has for us on planet earth. And that abundance is found in knowing Jesus. Now the word here for know that's used in the Greek is a word we've talked about here in the past. It's a Greek word, it's genosko. And genosko has several definitions. What we'll look at are these two. The first one, to learn to know, to learn to know. I love this idea, to learn to know. Come to know, get a a knowledge of, perceive, feel. And then the third definition, it's a Jewish idiom for, for sex, for physical intimacy between a husband and wife in the context of marriage. That's what it's intended for. And so it sounds funny to say it like that. Let me start with that definition. Um, we've talked about this a little in the past. See, in Western culture, it is not uncommon for someone to maybe even on a first date to, to hook up. Is this getting weird all of a sudden? We live in a world that is, has a hookup culture, that they, there are apps available. If you don't want relationship, but you want to know someone biblically, right? You want to experience physical intimacy, but you don't want any relationship. There are apps for that, that you can meet somebody and have a hookup and no strings attached. And that's a whole nother message. There are strings attached. There always are strings attached. But our culture has this backwards. Our culture thinks, hey, we can experience physical intimacy and then we will get to know that person. This is totally backwards from the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture in the Jewish context, they would say, hey, by the time, the reason they would call physical intimacy knowing them, they knew each other, is because that was the last intimacy you would experience. Every other intimacy preceded this. So you would get to know somebody intellectually, relationally, socially, spiritually. Every other way you could possibly know someone in Jewish culture and context, this is what would happen before the marriage was consummated, before there was physical intimacy. So by the time they got to physical intimacy, they knew each other. They knew everything about the other person. There was depth in their relationship. So, so this was literally... The, the culminating moment, this was the end of it. It was like, now we know each other. And we get uncomfortable with these metaphors because 
It creates these weird images, but I just wanted you, I want you to divorce yourself from the physical intimacy side of it. And I want you to think about this. We as Christians are called the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And it's God's desire that we would know Jesus, that he would know us the way a husband and wife in the Jewish context would know each other, that there is nothing hidden, there's nothing held back, that, that he knows me, he knows the deepest parts of my heart, that I am vulnerable and I am honest and I will share those with Jesus, but that I get to know him as well, that he will share the deepest parts of his heart with me. That's what he wants. And that is dramatically different than praying a prayer at the end of the service. Now that's still important because there needs to be an introduction. But some of us think that is the end point. Well, I said a prayer, I'm good. I got my ticket punched, I'm going to heaven. But that's not it. See, my wife and I have been married almost 23 years. Can you believe that she has been married to me for almost 23 years? By the way, and I don't know if she's watching today. She might be watching today from Texas. Honey, I love you very much. And Jan, I love you very much. And today is my wife's birthday. So, yeah. So if you're watching, honey, happy birthday. I love you. Um, and so what I want you guys to do is blow up her social media. Like just cover up her timeline on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is you want to do, but message her, let her know how much she's loved and appreciated on her birthday today. But we've been married 23, almost 23 years. And I will tell you, when we got married, I knew Kim Franklin really well. And she knew me really well. She knew my, my, some of my weirdness, not the depth of my weirdness, but some of it. She knew some of my idiosyncrasies, some of my habits. She knew some of that stuff. But as we have traveled through our marriage, as we have spent time together, she has learned to know me differently. And I have learned to know her differently. Does that make sense? See, it's that first definition, learn to know. I have learned to know her. And the reason I've learned to know her is because I've spent so much time with her. See, Kim knows me better than any other human being alive. We've spent more time married than we had before we were married, which is crazy. My, my girls know me really well. Abby and Emma, pray for them because they know me better than they would like. They're like, Dad. Emma didn't even want me sitting by her on the front row this morning. I sat down and she was like, no, don't sit by me. Like, okay, that's fine. They know me. How did they get to know me? By, by spending time with me. They live in my house. They eat my food. They drive my car. <laughs> They've gotten to know me from spending time together. See, there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, isn't there? Um, you can know a lot about Ben Roethlisberger, can't you? I mean, Get on the Google webs, right? You're gonna find everything you need to know. Wikipedia, that guy, you're gonna find it. You're gonna, all the details. And, and if you dig hard enough, you probably can find his address. You can figure out his birthday. You can figure out where he went to college, where he went to high school. You can find out the ages of his kids, what his wife's name is. There's a lot of things you can figure out and learn about him. You can know those things about him, but that does not mean you know him. And it definitely does not mean he knows you. 
In, in my family, uh, there are people in our lives that have refrigerator rights. And that means that they don't have to ring the doorbell when they come to our house. They can just walk in the door. They might have a key of their own. They can walk in our house and they've got privileges. They can sit on the couch, do whatever they want. If they wanna get in our refrigerator and snoop around and get something to eat or drink, they can. They don't have to ask, hey, can I get something to drink? In fact, if they asked, do you care if I get something to drink? It'd be like, are you weird? Why are you asking, right? But not everybody has that right. Some people I know really well, right? They are family to us and they can do that. And some people are not. See, what do you think would happen if I went to Ben Roethlisberger's house <laughs> about two in the morning? I scaled the wall, go through the house, get inside. They hear a noise. They come into the kitchen and I'm like, Big Ben, what's up? I'm just getting something cold to drink. Is that okay? You'd be like, no, it's not okay. The police are on their way right now, right? That is a good way for me to get a restraining order. <laughs> That's what would happen. Why? Because I don't really know him. And he definitely doesn't know me. I don't have rights to his refrigerator. I don't have rights to his house because I don't know him. And he doesn't know me. I had an interaction with somebody recently and this person stopped me and they said, oh, I know you, I know you. And I was wearing a, a ball cap. It was on my day off. I was wearing a ball cap and some sunglasses and uh and people in our church that come every weekend don't recognize me sometimes with a hat and glasses on. Like I will walk by people, I'd be like, hey, how are you? And they'll be like, fine. Like holding their purse a little closer, right? Be like, all right, whatever. And I didn't realize I looked that creepy, but thank you. But this person said, I know you. I know you're, you're Mel from Summit. I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And I said, do you go to Summit? And they said, no, I used to go to Summit. I don't anymore. Like, wow, that hurts a little, but thank you. I said, where are you going to church now? And they said, well, we're not going, we're not going anywhere right now. I said, well, you should. You should be in church. Even if it's not our church, you should be in church. And there's lots of good churches. So we just talked for a few minutes. Um, but it was, I thought about it later and I thought, this person said to me, I know you. But I didn't recognize this person. Uh, they'd been to church. They knew who I was, but I didn't know who they were. Um, and there's a lot of people that call our church homes, but they come every Christmas, right? No matter what, they're gonna be here on Christmas. Uh, they come for Easter and you know, they come three times a year. I just, I, I can't build a relationship with them. Why? Because there's no regularity in our journey together. I don't know them because we just aren't spending time together. See, my girls know me. Kim knows me because we are sharing our lives. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter seven. This is Jesus' words. He said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. King James says, you workers of iniquity. And this will be their defense. We did lots of good things. We did Christian things. We did good things. And Jesus will be like, yeah, you know me, but I don't know you. Like, you know who I am, but we don't know each other. So there is not a, a way for you to enter in. You've been good. You've been moral. You've done good things in my name, but I don't know you. 
What a tragedy that is. See, I don't want us to be a church that's good at doing church. We're good at doing good things. We're good at doing church things, but we're bad at knowing Jesus. God, help us never be that church. God, help us never be those people that we're good at showing up on Sundays and we'll go to growth track and we'll do the things and we'll find a small group, but at the end of the day, we don't really know Jesus. And worse yet, he doesn't know us. So how does that happen? It happens when we spend time with him, when we pursue him, when we value that. And that's the thing, we have to value knowing Jesus. That's part of the problem. We don't value that. We value church attendance. I'll go to church and it'll help my business because I'll see some people there. Oh, we'll go to church and get my wife off my back and I'll, I'll go to church. So we value church attendance. But do we really value knowing Jesus? Knowing Jesus in an intimate, personal way. Paul did. Paul, in the book of Philippians, he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And he says in Philippians chapter three, he starts going down this list of all the incredible things he's done. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And here's the things I've accomplished. And here's the things I did. And here's all that I've done that I was so proud of. And then he says in verse seven, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He says, they once had great value in my life, but now they don't have value. Why? He says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. He says, this is what's most important in my life, knowing Jesus. The singular action is the most important, knowing Jesus. That's all I wanna do. He says, in fact, everything that I think is valuable or important, I now look at it as trash compared to knowing Jesus. Now, this is gonna sound like a shocking statement a little bit to you. I want my affection for Jesus and my desire to know Jesus to be so supreme in my life that loving my wife well looks like trash compared to that. I want my affection for Jesus to be so high and so supreme and my, des my desire to know him so high that, that loving Abby and Emma is trash compared to that. I, I want my, my, my desire to know Jesus to be so high that building a good church is trash compared to that. And this is where we get this all backwards because we go, we're gonna do some good things for God and then God will love us more and then we'll know him better. And what if we knew him and everything comes out of that? This is what Paul says. I wanna know him. I wanna, I wanna know him so, so much that I wanna know his, his death and his suffering. I wanna know it all. See, this is what marriage is. When you get married, I did a wedding recently and I told the couple, I said, not every day is gonna look like today. Not every day is gonna be like this. There are gonna be hard days and bad days and difficult days and days you don't wanna be married and days you don't feel like loving the other well and days you don't wanna submit to your spouse. There are gonna be days like that. Your spouse is gonna have bad days. But, but this is the thing, this is what marriage is. Marriage is saying, I wanna share that with you. I wanna walk through your bad days with you. I, I wanna hurt with you when you hurt. And this is what Paul is saying. I really wanna know Jesus 
in, in, a, in a marriage kind of way, that I want to know his suffering. I want to know his hurt. I want to know his pain. This is how I want to know him. First John 5, 20 says this, and we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. Jesus has given us understanding so that we can know God. And now, we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. So I wanna make sure you get this. We live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son. Fellowship is such a churchy word. Is there anybody that ever uses the word fellowship outside of church context ever? I've never heard a guy be like, hey babe, uh, me and the boys, we're going, we're going to go watch, uh, eat some wings and fellowship while we watch some football together. It's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you using the word fellowship in that context? It just feels weird, right? Like, we never use that word in normal conversation, that we're going to fellowship together. And, and that is a good way to ruin guys tonight. If you're like, guys, let's go, let's go watch the game and we can fellowship. The guys are like, oh, I'll pass. I've got some other stuff I got to do other than hang out with somebody that uses the word fellowship. So I'm good, right? <laughs> fellowship is a word we don't use normally. Um, think about this in context. What it's talking about is fellowship is this ongoing walk together, this ongoing relationship. That there is, that there is um, continuing depth in relationship and continuing depth in intimacy. That, that as we journey together, we know each other more, sort of like marriage, that the longer we're married, the more I learn to know my wife. The, the, the further I go with Christ, the more I learn to know Jesus. And the more I love about him, because the more I know, the more I love. How does this happen? Well, we have to journey together. We have to fellowship. We have to walk together. It is not just about simply making a decision and then going, okay, I'm glad I got that taken care of. Then we do the hard work where it's like, all right, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to... I wanna, experience what you've experienced. There's a book I read a few years ago called Jesus Manifesto. It was written by Frank Viola and Leonard Sweet. And in the book, it says this. So for Christians, our first task is to know Jesus. And out of that knowing, we will come to love, adore him, proclaim him, and manifest him. We will learn to do the things that we think we're supposed to do as Christians if we begin with the idea of knowing him. If I will first and foremost know Jesus, then out of that knowing, I will love him the way I'm supposed to love him and adore him and proclaim him, share the good news of who Jesus is, and I will manifest him. His spirit will be manifest through me, through good works, through serving, through blessing, through generosity. All these things come from knowing him that this is foundational. I will be a better dad if I know Jesus. I will be a better husband. I will be a better boss, a better pastor, a better follower of Jesus if I just know Jesus and make this my highest aspiration. See, Jesus turned the world upside down with 12 jacked up guys. But they knew Jesus. What could happen in our town, in our region, in our world, if a ch one church of people would say collectively, we want to know Jesus, we want to make this our highest aspiration, our highest goal in life is to know him. 
I think there would be a revival in Western Pennsylvania that has never been seen before and maybe never seen again. If we would just say, Jesus, I wanna know you and I'm gonna pursue you and I wanna be in relationship with you every single day. It's no Jesus. Second thing is big faith. We talked about big faith a lot through the years. This has been one from the very start, big faith. See, God does big things and he asks us to believe in big ways and we're never going to insult him with small thinking or safe living. When we talk about big faith, this is scary to people. Because they go, yeah, I want that. I just don't want what it requires of me. I, I like the idea of being a person of big faith, but I don't want to do what I need to do to be a person of big faith. It's like, I, I really want a six-pack, I just don't want to do what I have to do to have a six-pack, right? Like, I like the idea of it, but I don't like the work of it. That's how a lot of us are with big faith, because it's scary. It feels like a leap of faith. It feels like if God asks us to do something that's scary and we do it, we're gonna be hung out to dry. What happens? There is a, a bird in the Arctic. It's the, the guillemot. And the guillemot is um, it's a, a bird that has a very long lifespan, but it resides predominantly in the Arctic. And so because of that, it has a very narrow breeding season because the summer in the Arctic is very short. And so because of that, uh, the mother and father work together and uh, they, they work together to protect the egg and to ultimately raise the chick. The guillemots are um, diving birds and they will actually dive about 200 meters below the surface of the ocean in order to find their prey, small fish and different ocean creatures. Um, and so they will dive deep, almost 600 feet below the surface of the water to find what they need to find to, to survive. And maybe you're not familiar with the guillemots, but maybe you're, you, you have seen the picture of their babies. Um, just a few weeks after the birth of the, uh, the, the chicks hatch, um, and each, each pair only has one chick. So after the chick hatches a few weeks, they will leave the nest. And the nests are on the side of these cliffs, uh, several different places throughout the Arctic. And they nest in colonies of literally 100,000 birds. So all of these birds, all these nests, and almost in sync, in unison, after these chicks have been hatched, within a few weeks, they leap out of these nests hundreds of feet into the water. And maybe you've seen the video or the pictures of this on like Discovery Channel, but they'll do it in high def, slow-mo. And these chicks, they literally still have down. They're about a quarter of the size of a full-grown guillemot, and they will leap out of this nest they lack the ability to fly. They cannot fly and they fall into the water. And again, it's slow-mo and you see these little chicks and they're tumbling and they're falling and psh, into the water. And first time I saw that, I was like, they're dead. All these chicks are dead. These stupid birds, what are they doing, right? You don't leave the nest till you can fly. It's a leap of faith. They leap out of this nest into the water and their father's waiting on them there. And this is what it feels like so many times when God asks us to do something. We go, God, this is too big. I can't do it. It's too much. So God, why are you asking me to do something? This would be stupid for me to do this. In Genesis chapter 12, I referenced this last week, but in Genesis chapter 12, um, God speaks to Abraham and his name is Abram at the time. It hasn't been changed yet. This is what it says in Genesis 12. 
Verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, go from the country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when we read this passage, a lot of times we settle on the second part of that passage where God talks about all the great things he's gonna do. I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing. All the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed because of you and your family. This is incredible. But we forget about the first part. The first part, he says, go from your country. Leave your hometown. Leave your father's house. So he was... 75 at this time, but in that day and age, they lived with your family communally for a long time. It was not uncommon. He says, leave your your father's home, leave your kindred, your family, your extended family, all your friends, all the people you know, all the people you're familiar with, your safety net, leave that and go to a land that I'm gonna show you. Okay, God, that sounds good. Now, where is that land? I'll show you. Do you know how many days it's gonna take or the mileage? I'll show you. But when are we gonna get there? I'll tell you when we get there. How many of us would sign up for a trip like that? Probably not very many of us, right? Like, is there sheets on the way or can we stop for a tea or, right? This is a leap of faith. This is a big step for Abraham to say, I'm gonna leave everything I know for something I don't know. God, I'm gonna trust you to take me where you want me to go. I'm gonna leave what I know, which is good and safe for something I don't know, which could be dangerous. But God, I'm gonna trust you. He did it. This is a a leap of faith for for Abraham. When I first came to Summit, uh, one of the values that was stated of the church was, um, it said, the, the statement said, we take leaps of faith I'm sorry, we take steps of faith, not leaps of faith. And I read that and I immediately hated it so much. I was like, nope, 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 nope. This is wrong. I don't like this. I don't like that. We're not, that's not who we are. Because if it looks like a step of faith, it's probably safe enough for us to do without God. Does that make sense? See, we like steps that are safe and convenient and comfortable those are the things we want God to do for us. But too many times, what he's asking us to do is feels like a leap of faith. But, but this is what I want you to understand as you are staring at your leap of faith. A leap of faith looks like a step of faith in hindsight. When we get through the leap of faith, we will look back and go, oh, that wasn't that bad. That wasn't that big a deal. Why was I freaked out about that? See, Abraham, this is almost a side note in Abraham's life because of all the things he had to do later, all the big leaps of faith, God said, trust me, trust me, trust me. And when we look back at Abraham's life, we're like, yeah, big deal. He left his home and everything he knew. Of course he did. He was a man of faith, right? I think about our lives. We moved here almost nine years ago. We didn't know anybody. We knew the board and that was it. That was all. We'd met the staff, but we didn't know anybody in Indiana, Pennsylvania. The church was taking a risk on us. They didn't know us very well, but they felt like God was in it. We didn't know you guys very well, but we felt like God was in it. And now we look back and we're like, big deal. Yeah, we moved away from family and friends, but man, we have family and friends here. This is good, right? It was a leap of faith, but now in hindsight, we go, oh no, it was a step of faith. We were trusting God. See, that leap of faith doesn't seem so big anymore because of what God has done and how he's brought us through. And this is the way God works. This is what God does. 
In Joshua chapter one, Joshua, uh, Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. He led them in the, the wilderness for 40 years. And then as punishment um, and part of his correction for being disobedient was he wouldn't, was not able to enter the promised land. So he passes away and it's time for Joshua to, to lead the nation. This is what it says in Joshua 1.1. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan into the land that I am giving you. Let me skip down to verse five. He says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. He says, I'm gonna be with you the whole time. I'm sending you into the unknown. You have no idea what's out there, but I'm telling you it's good if you'll trust me. But if you're nervous, I'm gonna be with you the whole time. I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. You don't have to worry about anything. So Joshua gathers the people. Um, he, he, he moves them closer to the Jordan River so that they can cross the Jordan into the promised land. This is what it says in verse 14 of Joshua 3. It says, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And this was God's instruction that the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, that, that God's, God's priests and the presence of God would precede the people in the, the promised land. And, and God's presence always goes before us. If God tells us to do something, he always goes before us in that. So this is what's happening. Verse 15, it was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above the point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. They crossed the river, the riverbed on dry ground. Does, this, does that sound vaguely familiar to you? You might be going, wait a second, I think I've heard this story before. Well, this is what God did with the nation of Israel when they left, when they left captivity and the Egyptians were pursuing them and they were stuck at the Red Sea. Um, God parted the Red Sea and the ground was dry and they walked across on dry ground and he rescued them that way. Now, you might be thinking, well, God, why would God repeat himself? God, that's a rerun. We've seen this trick already. You're, you're running out of tricks, Lord, right? That's not the case. See, most of the people who were crossing into the promised land, they either weren't alive or were too young to remember the first, the first crossing, the Red Sea crossing. They had heard stories. They had heard parents or grandparents tell them of the miraculous work and the provision of God, but they hadn't experienced it. The other thing I wanna point out is this. It says that it was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. It was flooding. Now, this is not some flash flood. This is a seasonal flood. They could count on this flood coming every single year. And if you are like me, if I was one of the children of Israel, if I was there and I'm like, God, come on, come on. Why couldn't you send us across six months earlier or six months later? Like, it would have been a trickle and we could have crossed easier, but now you're making us go across in flood stage? God, do you have any idea this is the worst possible timing for this to happen? God, do you see what's going on here? Because if you did, you wouldn't be asking us to do this right now. But again, most of these people had never seen God work the way he did at the Red Sea. And I think God wanted to display his power and his goodness and his provision for people that had never experienced it before or people who had forgotten about it before. He wanted, to, he wanted them to experience something fresh for them to pass on to their kids. He didn't care about the timing. He didn't care that the, 
The Jordan was a flood stage. See, when God asks us to do something, he doesn't really care about the timing. He just wants us to be obedient. See, big faith is not required when there's no opposition. Big faith is required when we have opposition. Big faith is required when the flood is, the the river is bursting forth from its banks because it's at flood stage. See, when God asks us to be obedient, it's usually at the worst possible time. When God says, hey, I want you to be obedient with your finances. And you're like, God, I just took a pay cut. I want you to tithe. God, uh, I don't know if we're gonna make it. I, I, I want you to quit your job and do this. God, I just got a raise. Feels like the worst possible timing, right? But God doesn't care about the circumstances. He cares about our obedience. Remember what he said? I will be with you every step of the way. He knew that the, the river was gonna be at flood stage. He knew it. And he sent them strategically at that time so he could display how good he is. So one of the questions I get pretty regularly uh, is, Mel, where are we going to next? Are we starting a new summit someday? Where are we going? And people will give me ideas. Have you thought about? I'm like, probably I have thought about that, actually. So I've thought about a lot of different places, a lot of different things. And I even had people ask during... Um, during construction in Blairsville. Like we hadn't even opened Blairsville and I would have people ask me, have you thought about where we're going to next? It was like, no, give me a second. It's like asking a woman on the delivery table, like, are you ready for another baby? She's like, I will murder you, right? Like I'm never having another baby ever again. That's kind of how I felt at some point during our, our Blairsville excursion. It's turned out great. The people are awesome. We're reaching people that, that wouldn't have been reached otherwise. It's not perfect. We're learning from our mistakes, but Anyway, over the last six months or so, our leadership has been praying and talking and our staff and our board and I've just asked them to pray with me. And, and I had some ideas about, oh, maybe this would make a lot of sense or maybe that would make a lot of sense. And, um, and God said, no, I'm, I'm gonna direct you someplace that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's how God does it. And that's how God works. And, um, and we're not committing right now to start a church in that town, the town, but we're exploring options and we're looking at possibilities. And so I want to let you know on September the 18th, we're going to be having, we're going to be having a service in Johnstown, Pennsylvania on a Sunday night. And uh, we're going to have a full service down there. And I want you to be praying for that. And I want you to invite every human you know that doesn't have a church in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It doesn't make a lot of sense for us in a lot of ways because we don't have a ton of people from Johnstown that are coming this way. We got people from Evansburg and Nanny Glow and all Revlock and other places down in that way, um, but we don't have a ton of people. Um, so it doesn't make a ton of sense. The other thing is, I don't know if you've noticed um, in our world, it's, it's, I've, I've been told it's not a recession. We don't, we're not having a recession. It is an economic slowdown is what the news is telling us it is. Whatever it's called, we're experiencing some economic challenges in the world we live in. And maybe you've experienced that some with the prices of goods and gasoline and meat and different things. And all those things would say, hey, it doesn't really make sense. Why don't we hold off? This is where I keep coming back to this idea that if God has told us to do it, we'd be, we'd be dumb not to do it. It may not make sense, but it makes less sense to be disobedient. And so Joshua sent spies into the promised land to kind of scout out and take a look. 
And essentially, September 18th, we're sending spies into the land. <laughs> we're saying, God, show us what you want to show us. Tell us what you want to do. And so that night, we're going to have a, a service down there. We're going to worship together. We're going to preach. And then we're going to give opportunity for people to, um, to let us know if they would be interested in a Summit Church Johnstown and start exploring some conversations and seeing what that looks like. So be praying with us about that. Because again, it doesn't make sense. But God is not in the business of making sense to us. God is in the business of us being obedient to fulfill his purpose on planet Earth. So I want you to be praying with us about that. The guillemots that I mentioned earlier, one of the things that scientists recently discovered is the fact that <clears throat> they were able to track them into the, into the deep ocean. And they were able to figure out why these birds would leave the nest so early. And what they found out was that the, the, the hunting ground for these birds is so far away from the nest that if they left the chicks in the nest, the, the, mothers, the mothers and fathers would not be able to get them as much food as they needed to grow to their maximum capacity. And eventually it would threaten the species if these baby chicks stayed in the nest and didn't get all the food that they needed. So what's required is for the chicks to have this leap of faith into the water. And what they've also discovered is the, the chicks down and the way their wings are shaped actually function as a little bit of a parachute. It help, actually helps them get to the water safely. So if they, if they stay in the relative comfort and safety of the nest, the species will end up dying. So they have to leave the comfort of the nest into the water and they have to go with the dad because this is the way it works. The dad will protect the chick in the ocean and the dad will hunt near the chick, but the mom will go deeper and further and do, do some of the heavy lifting. Typical, right? Typical men just sticking around the house and women doing the work. But I, but I hope you catch this. You can stay in the safety of the nest. It feels safe, it feels secure. But you will never grow to your maximum capacity unless you go into the deep water with the Father. It feels risky, it feels unsafe, but if that's where God is, that's where we should be. So I wanna challenge some of you who've grown complacent in your walk with Christ. You've stopped believing big things for your life. You've grown comfortable in the safety of your nest. God's saying, come with me out to the deep water. Come with me where it feels risky, but it's not risky, I promise, because I am with you all the way. The last thing real quickly is healthy relationships. We're committed to loving others sacrificially and resolving conflict biblically. See, loving others sacrificially is hard, but this is what cultivates healthy relationships. Um, in a marriage, if I can love my wife sacrificially, it's gonna help bring health to our relationship. If I can love my daughters sacrificially, it's gonna bring health to our relationship. And we as a church, as we love each other sacrificially, it brings health to our relationships. And I would even go so far as to say, when we love each other sacrificially, the way the Bible asks us to love, it actually helps foster a community, a family, where we go from just being a group of people who worship together to a group of people who are family together. Not a perfect family. There is no perfect family because humans are involved. We're a family who will love each other sacrificially and we're gonna resolve conflict biblically. Back in 2000, there was a family that, that came to church and, um, and God just changed their lives. And I'm so glad they did. I wanna show you Alicia's story right now. So, 
I was adopted um, right after birth. Um, and so to me, family has never been about blood. Family has been more to me about the people around you that just love you, nurture you, care for you. Um, I've always had a different view on family just because of my life circumstances, I guess. And um, I was at work one day and we were all talking and a friend of mine said, hey, I'm gonna go to Summit this weekend. And I said, oh, maybe we'll join you. And so it, that's where it started. It was January of 2020. And when we walked in the door, everyone was super welcoming. Um, we happened to see other people that we knew and our kids flocked right over to kids church because their kids were in kids church. And um, Mel just spoke to us. And that day, I know both my husband and I because we were um, going through a lot of stuff, health issues with family. Um, we both talked afterwards about the salvation at the end. And we both raised our hands during that time. It was our first experience here and we were just touched. It ended up that COVID started in March of 2020. So, of course, the church was closed down and, you know, but we were still, we just loved Summit. So we watched online as much as possible, as much as you can with little kids running around and got everything that we could out of all of the messages. And um, when the church opened back up, uh, I said to my husband, I'm getting plugged in. Like, I have to get plugged into this church. This is where I just feel like I'm at home. And, um... So I went through growth track. I don't remember when that was, but I went through growth track, found out about myself more than what I already knew and um, got plugged into the check-in desk, kids check-in desk. I love it there. I had lost my mom at the end of uh, 2020. Um, and so I know God sent us here at the beginning of the year because he knew that we were, I was gonna need the support of all of the people that are here. Um, to get me through the hardest moment in my life. Um, I've gained tons of friendships. I've gained people that I consider to be like family. My children have a sense of belonging when Pastor Christina opens her arms and just gives them that giant hug and asks how their week was and asks about the activities that they've been in that she knows about. and. Um, Pastor Mel gives you the hug and Pastor Kim asks me how I'm doing and just all of the people that care so much, those people are part of the foundation that God has already set up. And from there, we're just gonna keep building. You know, Alicia and her family, I love them, but they, um, you know, they, they, she mentioned in the video, I raised my hand at the end of a message and we surrendered our lives to Christ. But it didn't stop there for them. They got involved, they got connected. She said, this feels like a family. And when she says that, some of you are going, well, this doesn't feel like a family to me. Well, maybe it's because you're not serving any place. You're not involved in a small group. You haven't, you haven't fellowshiped with us, if I can use that churchy word. You haven't walked with us. You, you show up sometimes for church and then you leave. And I wanna encourage you, when we talk about growth track, that's your way to find family, to find relationship get connected. That's what she did. She found fellowship with, with God because she was walking with Jesus. 
She's growing in their faith and their family is doing so great and I'm proud of them. How do we resolve conflict biblically? Matthew 18, Jesus says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. Different versions say um, you've gained back a brother. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. And what it's saying is that you, that you cast them out and you curse them. What it's saying is you, you have the same expectations for them as you do a tax collector or a pagan. You wouldn't expect a pagan or a tax collector to act like a Christian. You'd expect them to think differently. And sometimes we expect people who come to church to act like Christians, but they're not Christians. So what he's saying is shift your expectations of them at that point. Because what we see is that they're mandated in scripture to treat outsiders well, to treat people who are not like us well, right? So he's not saying treat them badly. He's saying just change your expectations. But what does he say? If you get hurt by someone, if you have a fence against someone, you go to them privately. And, and let's be honest, we're terrible at this. We are terrible at this. We don't do it well in the church. Um, we don't have a lot of drama in our church. And I think it's because we do a good job of squashing drama when we hear it. Little monsters become big monsters. So we, we wanna deal with the little things when they happen so they don't become big things. But let's be honest, one-on-one, -on -one, if somebody does something that hurts our feelings, we're not very good about going to them and going, hey, can we talk about this? You said this, and I don't think you meant to hurt me, but man, it really hurt. We just go, no, I'm not gonna talk. It's no big deal. But in the meantime, our, our heart hurts. We become bitter because we won't speak truth in love. So it says, have that conversation. You'll gain a brother back if they respond. But if not, here's what you do. You escalate, right? And it's not about getting somebody in trouble. It's about reconciliation and relationship. And, and Jesus gives us instruction on how to do this. There was a, a moment a few years ago, a, a person comes to me and they said, hey, somebody was saying this about you and about one of our pastors. This is what they said, and I don't know what to do with this. And I was like, well, you need to talk to them uh, well, I don't know if I can. And it was like, okay, well, here's what Matthew 18 says. But if you are unwilling to, I wanna talk to them. Okay, well, that, yeah, that's fine. I would like to use your name and say, you told, oh no, you could never do that. And I was like, well, what, what am I supposed to do? Say, I was praying and the Holy Spirit told me you said this. And like, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do that. Okay. So I asked this person to meet and I just said, hey, um, I was talking to so-and-so and they told me that you had said this. Is that something you said? Because that doesn't sound like you, but I just wanted to see, you know, what was going on and what was happening with your heart. And No, 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 I would never say that. And then as we talked a little longer, it was like, well, yeah, actually, yeah, I did say that. And I said that because this happened and you did this and I, and so it just gave us an opportunity for me to say, listen, I'm so sorry that what I did or what I said caused you to, to feel a certain, I, I'm so sorry. I, I would have never done that. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm for you. Love your family. So it just gave us an opportunity to talk and to clear the air. And we're great now. This person's wonderful. This person serves and is part of our church and they love me and I love them. But a root of bitterness was beginning to grow in that person. 
that would have continued to grow if we hadn't had a conversation. And I just want to encourage you, do the hard work. Healthy relationships is hard. That's why they're so rare. So do the hard work. This process works in your home, in, with your family, in your work. If you will have some hard conversations, it'll make it easier down the road. But it takes us being willing to put ourselves in a vulnerable position. How do we have healthy relationships? Well, it starts with Jesus. We know Jesus. When I know Jesus, it helps me be a better husband, dad, brother, son, pastor, boss, all those things. When I know Jesus, I can have big faith when I know Jesus. I can't put a lot of faith in me. I'm not that great, but Jesus is great. If Jesus asked me to do something, I might, in my own strength, go, Jesus, I can't do that. And he's like, that's right, you can't, but I can. Okay, let's go, Jesus. I know you, and I know you can. That's how it works. So I wanna challenge you today. Let's begin by knowing Jesus. I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. He's gonna close out the rest of our time. He's gonna give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know. I love you. More than you know, I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. So let me start here, knowing Jesus. This is not just a prayer, this is fellowship. And maybe you're here today and you recognize, you know what, I said a prayer one time, but I didn't really mean it and I didn't really walk with Christ and I'm really religious, I know all the facts and all the details, but I don't really know him and I don't know that he really knows me. Today's your day. I wanna begin that journey with you. I wanna help you know Jesus. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that we can know you and you wanna know us. And I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. I pray for those that are here that, that maybe, maybe have been super religious, but there has not been an intimacy between them and you. And I pray today would be the day that would start. God, I pray that we would not grow complacent and comfortable in the place we are. But God, I pray that you would stretch us. I pray that as we know you and pursue you and walk with you and fellowship with you, Lord, I pray that we would go into that deep water, that we would go into dangerous places because you are with us. And as we do, we're gonna know you more and more and more. And God, I pray that it'll change us, that it'll change our families, it'll change our world. God, help Summit Church to be marked as a church of people who know Jesus. So God, let that be our heart. God, I pray for those that don't know you. Let today be the day. We surrender it all. Let today be the day. We go all in and we hold nothing back. And with nobody looking around, if you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not really walking with him, but I want to. I wanna know him and I want him to know me. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I just wanna pray for you. And if you wanna be included in the prayer, would you slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me, include me in that prayer. I wanna know Jesus, thank you. Thank you, sir, who else? Yeah, on my right, a couple of hands, thank you. Who else? Yeah, up in the balcony, two, three hands, thank you. Praise God. Yeah, on my left, thank you. Just a few more seconds, anyone else? You say, Mel, include me in that prayer. 
book of Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer out loud. Every person is gonna pray this prayer together. And we're gonna pray this from our mouth, but we're gonna believe it from our hearts. So we're not just gonna repeat prayers mindlessly. We're gonna, we're gonna pray this ourselves, but pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the penalty for my sins by dying on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you and I'm asking you to use me for your glory. I wanna know you every way I can. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And we wanna help you walk in this newness. We wanna help you fellowship with Jesus. And so we want you to take the next step. And this next step is really simple. I would love for you to take the card out of the seat back in front of you and fill it out and stop by your info center over in the lobby. Stop by there and give them the card. They're gonna give you a Bible and they're gonna get you in touch or get one of our, our pastors in touch with you soon. They're gonna help you begin to take the next step. We're gonna get you resources and relationships. They're gonna help you learn to know Jesus better. And that's what we wanna do. If you're watching online, you're here in the room and you prefer, simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. And when we respond back to you, select the prompt that says salvation and let us know about your decision. When you do that, um, same thing. We're gonna get some stuff in the mail to you. We're gonna help you take the next step, get you plugged into relationships and resources. So please take advantage of that. So some of you at the end of worship, you're like, wait a second, those people forgot about communion, didn't you? Some of you thought that. You're like, I've been holding this thing in my hand for 20 minutes and we're still not doing communion. Um, well, we're gonna receive communion together now. And we're gonna do it a little differently. Um, I'm not going to lead you through communion. Um, we are a family, and so we're gonna do this family style. Um, and so this is the way we're gonna do it today. Pastor Kendall's gonna continue to play. I'm gonna give you a few minutes, and I want you guys to gather in groups of four or five or six, but just smaller groups. And I want you guys to do communion together. You might be going, Mel, I'm here by myself. Like my family's not with me. No, your family's here. You just haven't met them yet. So we want you to turn, get out of your seat, move around, find some people that you can receive communion together with. And you might be going, well, who's gonna lead and who's gonna pray? And I don't wanna pray and I'm, that's okay. Somebody in your group, take the lead. Somebody in your group, um, lead in communion. And then I want you guys to pray for each other, just like a family would, pray for each other. And then in just a minute, Pastor Kendall's gonna begin to lead us. And when we're done with communion, he leads us. Some of our prayer team and some of our pastors are gonna be down here at the front of this room and we'd love to pray for you no matter what your need may be. And at that point after that, we'll be dismissed. So my instruction to you today is you can stay in your seat and turn, you can get up, you can go stand, gather. I don't care what you do, but I want you to find your people that you're gonna receive communion together with and we're gonna receive communion together. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Start moving, go, go. Yeah.